Welcome to the Scripture and Plain Reason Podcast. Engaging podcast where we affirm the authority and the clarity of Scripture. My name is Ryan. And my name is Brian. Happy 4th, happy birthday to America. It is the 4th of July. and 247th birthday. Amazing. We wanted to just, in celebration for the 4th, call out a few things that we've seen recently from the Supreme Court, which are really exciting to see. And then we have a nice surprise for for you all here after we go through these. But number one, affirmative action has now been shut down. Two cases, I think, one from the University of North Carolina and one from Harvard that basically eliminates the ability for universities to grant admissions based on individuals' race. So what I would believe to be a, a fairly clear racist law that was put into place has now been knocked down by the Supreme Court, which is always nice to see. And then secondarily, a Christian woman, graphic designer, I think, won a big case in the Supreme Court as well. So a couple others, Brian, right? Yeah. Yeah. If I could just say something about that first one too, as I, I just think that was such a racist policy. And you think it's actually wasn't going against or uh, white people necessarily. Mm-hmm. More people were suffering as Asian Americans yep. than were any other ethnicity. But if you weren't a certain race, you weren't uh, given kind of the fast track. And uh, I thought Clarence Thomas had a, a wonderful uh, response um, about that decision. Um, yeah, there were a couple others too. Uh, one, I guess there was a U.S. Postal um, employee who had religious convictions as a Christian about attending or working on Sundays. And so this went all the way to the Supreme Court and they supported him. So he gets the day off without losing his job, which I thought was see. fascinating. Yeah. And then the other one had to do with uh, colleges as well. And that was really an overreach, uh, serious, um, kind of an unconscionable overreach by the president of the United States where he promised using the HEROES Act, which was originally um, in place for people who were going to war or they were serving in the in the um, armed services. And so they would have their payments to pay back to college postponed or either erased. And he used this in the sense of almost like time of war or 9-11. Um, he used it with COVID, even COVID being declared done. Yeah. And it wasn't for military service. It was just for those that had college debt. And he was basically going to wipe it away. And it was very unfair, unjust. I mean, you think about all the people who decided either they're going to take out loans, they paid them back, or they were going to not go to college. They were going to get some type of VOTEC degree, or um, they were going to go right into the trades. Mm -hmm. And they put their money into equipment where they could start a business or something like that. No one going to repay them. So this was very unfair. So I was very thankful. As You know, I, I don't want to say like Michelle Obama years ago, I'm finally proud to be an American. That That's certainly not true. I'm very proud and thankful to be an American. But I was especially thankful uh, for the Supreme Court. And these rulings just really feel just, not feel. They, they seem, according to what I understand of the scriptures and, and fairness, mm-hmm. to be just decisions. And... I'm very thankful for that. Yeah, and that outstanding loan reimbursement program that uh, Biden pushed through, when you think about it, the government doesn't get any income outside of what? Our taxes. Correct. 
So who ends up paying for all of these individual student loans that are outstanding? Many people who are, many taxpayers who already paid off their own exactly. debts. Exactly. And then back to the affirmative action, I saw somebody post something about how about those second generation Asian immigrants that I guess they're not the immigrants, their parents were immigrants and they fought so hard for their kids to have a, a life here in America and work their butts off. And then their kids don't get into Harvard, even though they scored significantly better than, than other kids. It's just absolutely amazing. Yeah. It was a very just decision. I'm very thankful for it. Agree. Well, we have a special episode for you today. We've been doing this for a while now, Brian. We've been doing it for over a over year. Over a year. And we wanted to celebrate that by just playing a few clips from certain episodes that we really enjoyed when we listened back to. We had one from Scott Klusendorf, who is a pro-life advocate, who uh, was incredibly crisp and clear in his uh, voice around pro-life. Oz Guinness was another yeah, one. Oz was great. Oz was great. And we dropped Oz's episode on the fourth last year. Or I th Was it the fourth? Yeah. Actually? If you want to go back in the archives and listen to that, it was a great episode. We actually had him for two episodes. Yep. One that dropped on the fourth of July, 2022. And that was really fun. Absolutely. The last clip that we are going to share is actually a group of clips from the intern episode that we had, which oh, yeah. ended up being one of our most popular episodes. Absolutely. Yep. And we just grabbed a We need to distinguish between maximum. questions yep. that are difficult in terms of, of emotional difficulty versus intellectual oh, yeah. difficulty. So, the pro -life yeah, issue why don't is you sit back and enjoy these clips from it's previous episodes over the course of the past beings. year? Abortion does that, therefore it's wrong. That is not a complex argument and nothing of objection that goes against that syllogism I just gave you is difficult intellectually. However, there are psychological difficulties where somebody says, well, what about the poor woman who's been raped? What about the poor, you know, 14-year-old that is facing the loss of her education and uh, her boyfriend's dumping her and uh, her parents don't understand? We've got to be very careful as apologists that we don't come off as people who have no heart. Now, we don't need to compromise to do this, but we do need to be careful. So what I always do when people bring up, for example, rape, my first response is empathy. Usually the pro-lifer responds with statistics. Oh, well, most women who get raped don't get pregnant. That's just the wrong answer at that moment. It may be factually true, but it's not going to win you any points. So my first reaction is to say, you know what? You're right. That person who's been raped has suffered a terrible injustice and uh, will never fully understand the pain they feel. And you're also right that every time that mother looks at that child, she may remember what she went through. You're right about that. Given you and I agree on that, how do you think a civil society ought to treat innocent human beings that remind us of a painful event? And then I just let the question hang there for a moment. And then I can follow up by gently saying, is it okay to intentionally kill them so we can feel better? In other words, does hardship justify homicide? That's the question. And I want the person to wrestle with that. Now, what I call the inquirer 
is going to begin to follow my logic at that point. She's intellectually honest. She's heard the pro-life argument. She's just trying to think, okay, how do I make this fit into a real concern for my 14-year-old niece who, if she got raped, I'd feel awful if she had to carry to term. But at least she's following the argument here that hardship doesn't justify homicide. The crusader brings up rape exactly as we talked about in the previous show. He brings it up not because he cares about an honest answer. He brings it up because he wants to make the pro-lifer look bad. And there we need to do exactly what we mentioned before, call his bluff. So I'm going to look at the crusader and say, okay, you'd like to have me deal with this rape issue. I'm going to do it. But first, I want to ask you a question. If we agree, not that it's my position, but if we agree to allow exceptions for rape, will you then join us in opposing all other abortions? And of course, the answer is always no. And the comeback will be, no, women have a fundamental right to an abortion. Okay, defend that. If a woman has a fundamental right to an abortion, here's what that means. Let's be clear. A fundamental right cannot be infringed upon. That means a woman has a right to an abortion through all nine months of pregnancy, no questions asked. If she wants a dead child, she gets a dead child. Is that your position? If so, why don't you defend that rather than hiding behind rape victims? And I think that's how we deal with these hard questions. Now, having said that, I'm not claiming there are not any intellectual challenges to the pro-life view that we need to take seriously, but I don't find them to be particularly difficult the way the psychological objections are. And in our culture today that thinks and learns visually, it's the psychological objections we've got to tread carefully on. We've been talking, you know, about things before the framers. But if we take the framers and the founders, they are very aware of the three parts of what it means to establish a free society. You've got to win freedom, the revolution. You've got to order freedom. That's the constitution within a political, moral, social framework. And then thirdly, you've got to sustain freedom. Now, the first doesn't take very long. The second took 13 years. The third one goes on forever if you want to sustain it. And most people don't give a thought to that, which, of course, is our challenge because it's been won, the revolution. It's been ordered, the Constitution. The question is, will we sustain it? And people don't even address the issue today. But as I read the framers across the board, they were very different in terms of their own personal faith. So, for example, Patrick Henry was an evangelical. George Mason was a very orthodox believer. George Washington, mostly orthodox, but a little vague when it comes to Jesus. You move across to Thomas Jefferson, who's a deist, and you can go on further over. So they differ in terms of faith. They also differ in terms of religion and public life, within Jefferson, the wall of separation, and so on. But the one thing they don't differ on it at all is what I've called the golden triangle of freedom. In other words, freedom requires virtue. Virtue requires faith. Faith of any sort requires freedom. And rather like the recycling triangle, it goes round and round. Freedom requires virtue, which requires faith, which requires freedom, which requires virtue ad infinitum. Now, as you said, Brian, you could look at each of those in depth, and you may want to. But I think it's a very simple way of understanding 
how freedom is sustained. Because here's the challenge. The greatest enemy of freedom is not external. The greatest enemy of freedom is freedom. It comes unglued. It runs riot. People think it's doing what you like. No. So we've got to learn how to sustain freedom, which is a real challenge. Yeah, I'm a, more of a redneck than people realize, I think. Oh, really? I uh, was in the Yahoo homepage on the Weird News section one time after my family ate a batch of poisonous fish eggs <sighs> that my dad had spearfished out of a, our lake close to our house. Uh, it's a, the, the fish is called a gar. I don't, you probably have to look it up. It's a, Nasty looking, prehistoric looking creature. Uh, but we. <laughs> a gar. A gar, yeah. It's got long nose and a lot of teeth. And my dad shot it under the water with his spear gun, brought it up out of the water. He had me hold on to it so it didn't flop back in. Then once we got home, we cut the skin off, had to use uh, a saw because it's, it's like, it's scales. It's like a dinosaur. And we opened it up and there was eggs in there. And we had just been talking to a guy from our church who said that freshwater caviar is delicious. And my dad and his twin brother, which is always a bad combination, <laughs> decided that they should fry them up. So we didn't even like do traditional caviar. It was like, let's deep fry these. So we fried them and then ate them and then got real sick. And you could still find some of the stories. This was 10, 12 years ago now. but you The can, whole family. Yeah. My dad's name is Darwin Aaron. If you search Darwin Aaron, gar eggs, it'll still come up. Yeah, one thing I love to do is, and I said this actually when I got to East Brandywine, when I gave my beginning testimony, is I like to describe things in one word because it usually uh, helps me to think and make of something uh, more thinkable and more more relatable and understandable. And so the word that I would use to describe this internship is experience, and that's a broad word, but. There's been so many experiences that I've taken away that I've learned from and that I've grown from, from this internship. An invaluable experience, experience that I couldn't even have learned how if I sat in a classroom for the next hundred years. Mm. And so, just a few of those things that I want to deal with. I mean, church polity for one, I've learned so much on how a church works and the philosophy of ministry and why East Brandywine does what it does. Mm. And that is so valuable. And to be honest, you really don't talk about that in a classroom. Uh, you're talking about the X's and O's, right? You're not, yeah. you're talking about, you're just learning God's word, which is great. And that's definitely needed. But to get that practical experience of, hey, why do we do what we do? I think that's been the most beneficial thing because that affects everything else that you do. I also think just the experience of getting to know you and Pastor Joe and Pastor Matt, Pastor John, and and the entire East Brandywine body has been such a huge blessing. And you learn so much from that. Every experience is a learning experience in a sense. And just being able to see a, a congregation that loves God and that serves others and thinks of themselves last, that's invaluable experience. Mm. And lastly, I would say, the experience to serve. Serving really has opened my eyes. I should say full-time service in this sense has really opened my eyes to what ministry actually is and what it looks like. Uh, you can get a sense of it serving in the music ministry at home or serving in a nursing ministry at school. Uh, but when you're in full-time ministry, when you're just thrown in into the quote-unquote fire, it's a different beast. Mm. And there's so much joy that comes from that. 
But there's also a lot of challenges. And then there's some days you just have to put your head down and work. Mm. And to, to learn all of these experiences through this internship at East Brandywine, it's just been so valuable and so experiential. And it's boosted my education by like 10 years mm. uh, just to be able to experience all these different things that I wouldn't be able to experience anywhere else, I believe, in the country. I believe East Brandywine is a one-of-a-kind church and it has my heart and I and I hope they ha- I have theirs. And, mm. um, and so, I've just been super thankful for this internship and for you, Pastor Brian, and it's really been a wonderful time. I'm from China. I grew up in a Christian home. My dad has been preaching since he was 18. My mom quit her job when I was five so that she can focus on raising me and while my dad travels. I grew up in the in that home. I knew the Bible. I knew the gospel, but I didn't accept it uh, on my own. The Lord still really worked in my heart. I would say He preserved my my heart from the places I shouldn't go. He kept my heart in wanting to serve Him. After now, I look back, even though I didn't know how to, I didn't know Jesus Christ as my Savior back sure. then. But still, I was one of those good kids at the church. <laughs> yeah. Everybody looks at me and say, this guy is going to be a pastor when he grows up. But oh, I cool. never I never really took that upon myself until the Lord opened up the door for me to come to the United States because my dad also wants, to, wants me to be a pastor. So we started looking for opportunities to come over. And the Lord opened up the door after we looked for two other schools. They weren't satisfactory, but Bob Jones was the one we landed on. So the Lord worked out all the details, all the finances, all the housing issues, and my my English level. Uh, he supplied it all. So I was able to come here after I after just a series of miracles. And the Lord started working on my heart. Especially I remember when it started was um in October of 2019, I think. My pastor preached on a sermon from Luke 14, 15 to 24, that was the parable of the great feast mm-hmm. where the master is livid because the people that he sent invitation to did not respond, but despised him in mockery. So the master was angry and said, those people that I invited before shall not taste the great feast. Mm-hmm. And I just, the Lord convicted my heart and said, just look at all the blessings I have gotten. My parents my school, the fact that I'm in the United States is such a blessing, but yet I'm still not being thankful to God and giving myself to God. So he pulled my heart at, at that point and slowly throughout the past five years, the Lord just grew my heart so much that I believe the Lord Jesus Christ is my Savior and I know that I love being in ministry. So I now study at Bob Jones. I'm a biblical studies major and then I would love to be a pastor. Join us next time for more scripture and plain reason. God's word is true and God's word is clear.